0: If you call Canterbury home, one of the things that we do is we take our time through different books of the Bible. We've been doing that in Exodus, and if you've been wondering, what are we going to do next? Well, Exodus has really set a good foundation for us for the next book of the Bible that we as a church are going to be exploring. We as a church are going to be looking through the book of Hebrews. Uh, And what you will see throughout Hebrews is a lot of things and quotes from Exodus. And so, if you're not in a small group, this is a great time for you to consider joining a small group. And if you want to know how do I do that, a couple of ways. If you're here today, come and have a chat to me. Uh, Secondly, please email me and we'll be able to connect you with a small group that might suit your time, your location, and if you're interested in age group as well. But I'd encourage both young and old to engage with each other. Uh, now the other thing is also we're going to be ordering small group study guides so this means that if you're in a small group, please tap your small group leader on the shoulder to let them know you are after a study guide uh, if you if you can't for some reason join a small group uh, we and would like a study guide, just email me. We just want to make sure that we order the right amount and like unlike like last time where I ordered way too much um, and there were certain people I got in trouble with um, just I'd encourage you just to let me know, so we don't want to waste those books uh, either, so that would be great. Uh, Friends, this morning what I want us to consider is really this uh, idea that when we obey, we're actually experiencing the presence of God. When we obey, we are experiencing the presence of God, and we are going to explore with that, that's connected with it, what the Lord commands and the very glory of God, how that's all interrelated together. With that in mind, would you join with me in prayer? Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. This morning, right now, today, in the life of those who are here, the life of those who are watching, Oh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict us, reshape us, humble us, refresh us, and cause our gaze and hearts to be focused on Jesus, our great King. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable, not for my sake, but for your glory alone. In your name, amen. I was looking at the previous notes when we came to this last section, and I was thinking about how we actually started exploring the book of Exodus in February this year. I don't know if you realize that, and it's been a wonderful journey, at least for those of us who've been in the teaching team, and I hope and pray it's been of encouragement to you. It's been a joy hearing some of those stories as well, what God's been revealing and teaching you through His Word. Uh, Last week, Cameron did an excellent job in really unpacking and challenging us to consider this and got us to question, are we in relationship with God to get just His blessings, Or are we in relationship to get God himself? This morning we come to the very conclusion section of the book of Exodus. And for some of us, when we read 35 to 39, we might go, I've heard this before. And we might be tempted to go, well, I'll just skip over to Exodus 40. My encouragement to you is not to do that, even though I did that this morning. Please do take the time to read it. It's actually not there for the sake of just repetition. It has a purpose because it's the very Word of God even for us today, for you and I, just like for the people of Israel then. See, what we're seeing in these concluding chapters is this beautiful, wonderful reality. God's Word is being fulfilled. What He said would happen is coming into fulfillment. And now Moses is commanding the people, And he's instructing the people just as he's been commanded to do. And it's a beautiful picture, really. If you can just imagine, whole community working together to prepare the house of God. And you've got to remember, right, just a few chapters earlier, where, where, where have you been? This is that moment earlier on, you're kind of going, wow, these Israelites really messed this up. Uh, and you would think that, and as God already said, that he was you know, wanting to destroy them, get rid of them, restart. But God, Moses pleaded with God, and God was gracious. I mean, the Lord would have wiped them out, and he wanted to, but he did not. And remember what the Lord said to Moses? As per usual, what God responds is, you see his mercy, his grace, the one who describes himself as the one who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I would encourage you to get those verses from Exodus uh, 34 and put it somewhere as a reminder of God and his character. And so what you see is God now renewing his covenant commitment to his people. And that's what you're seeing in Exodus 34. So Moses heads down to the mount, from the mountain. Uh, there's sort of this uh, recommitment, uh, this is reestablishment and covenant with God. Uh, and what we begin with is it starts with the Sabbath regulations. Now, I don't know about you, when I first read it at the start of these chapters, I thought, that's, a bit of, that's really odd. You know, you're about to build a tabernacle, the first thing you do is, no, we're going to talk about the Sabbath. Well, it's actually not odd, obviously, because God's speaking. Moses instructs the people. and It's pretty serious stuff. I mean, think about it for a moment. If anyone breaks the Sabbath, what is the instruction? Put them to death. Maybe you can say that to your boss next time they ask you to work on Sunday. I don't know. That's not the point of the passage, by the way. See, in this context, in this moment... The day that God speaks of is holy. It's been set apart. It's a reminder. It's a reminder just before the calf incident, God had actually spoke about the Sabbath. He actually established it. Then they go, sin, and everything's uh, destroyed. And what happens? God comes and proclaims to them again, reestablish the Sabbath. It's a way of saying, you are now renewing your commitment to the Lord, And the very expression of who you are, that you belong to me, is expressed outwardly. And that God has an order to be in his kingdom, to be under his lordship, to dwell amongst his people. He has an order. That means he sets the rhythm of the lives of the people to reflect who they are, who they belong to, and he's the one who establishes it. If you want to really dig deeper, I really encourage you, if you ever read Genesis and Exodus together, it's really almost like speaking to one another. It's like God's kind of showing this kind of picture of him setting things into place as it's meant to be, as he comes to dwell amongst his people. But There's much more than that as well. It's a reminder to you and I when those of us who live today, when we read these passages and go, oh, Sabbath, those kind of things. I'm not going into that thing, but we've got to remember that even today, those of us who follow Christ, God is the one who sets the pattern and agenda for our very lives. He's the one who is Lord over those things. That you and I, the very purposes in our daily lives, the very work that you and I have, the rhythms that God has set, has purpose for His purpose and for His glory. Did you know that the very work that you do is more than paying for your mortgage or your rent or the bills. It has purpose for God's glory. It matters to God. And this rhythm is set just as He planned it, and He's the one who shapes it. But it's also a beautiful, glorious picture of God who's very good at restarting. That He's gracious and kind. And he restarts with this relationship with these people, for his purposes. Despite of their sin, it's a reminder that God will achieve His purposes. His plan will happen, just as He said, "Sin can't stop that. God will do as He says, because He is God." And for the people of Israel, they've broken their relationship with him, and the first thing who he wants to establish is the rhythm, the order as people under his care and his protection and under his lordship. And the very pattern that's set before them is that they have to follow this. They have to follow his commands. They have to submit to it. Another way to put it is, just as the Lord commanded about the Sabbath, they have to follow. It's serious stuff. They're called to obey it. Now then, verses 4... Of 35 to 40 to 39, is just beautiful, beautiful words because you have this wonderful picture of a whole community. They're contributing as the people of God for the house of God. To the construction by the people of God, they're bringing all these things for the construction of God's house. Uh, you'll see here up on the screen, uh, it's probably not to scale, is a picture that I have. There's the tabernacle, the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, the bronze basin, the court. Now, using our day and term, this is like a design brief, okay? So there's no elevations in this one. And then later on, it goes into the language of priestly garments. See, uh, one of the joys I love uh, is, in my role, is I love going to weddings. Uh, And weddings, there's so much detail. Uh, And now, for those of us who are just invited to these weddings, we may miss it. And for those of us who are ministers, we get to see some of these details that are going on as the, um, the couple prepare this wedding. And one of the things that always fascinates me is when the bride is about to walk through the door. Uh, Now, if you're officiating, you have front row seat. It's wonderful. And I love standing there, and I love seeing the face of the groom as the bride walks in. And I see the crowd, and generally all the guys are there looking, going, oh, cool, I wonder what's for the reception meal. Um, But the girls, what are they doing? They're looking at the dress. And they also might be looking at the guy to see if he's crying and going, oh, that's so cute, you know. But in general, they look at the dress. But they don't just look at the dress. What are they doing? They're looking at the detail. They're seeing the work that's there. Details in the Bible have significance. It displays time, it displays beauty, it displays effort, but it also shows this picture. If you can just imagine, in the middle of the desert, this glorious picture for God's house. It has significance. See, all the details here in the previous chapter and now again repeated, Uh, they have significance because it's saying that earlier on, God commands and speaks, and now the people are obeying and doing it. And it's exactly what God said. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment, what would you do if your local member rang and said to you, guess what? The queen's coming over to your house. Not only that, the Queen's coming to live in your house. What would be your response? Now, I'm not going, I'm going to into the political thing about whether you like the Queen or not. Now, what I'm going on in here is this. If you're like me, I'd be running around like a headless chook. I'd be cleaning. I mean, particularly if you've got kids, you are going to get the Lego out of the way because, you know, that will most probably kill the Queen if she steps on it. You know, you're cleaning, you're spraying, disinfecting, you're getting the really nice linen out, you're getting the great cutlery out. You get the place ready for royalty. But, friends, I want you to think about it for this moment. In this moment, here is someone far more important than the Queen. Far more important than the Queen. For the people of Israel and for Moses, they've been seeing about God, they've been hearing about God, they've been seeing, in a sense, God from a distance, and God has already been saying over and over and over again, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming to make my home with you. This is the people of God getting God's house ready for his arrival, See, from hearing it earlier in the previous chapters, now they are moved to doing it. Now, if you have a pen or a pencil, I would encourage you at some point to do something. Go and see what are the words that are constantly repeated in the passages in front of you. I'll give you a hint. Exodus 35, 4-10 says this. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever, whoever is of generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, fine twine linen, goat's hair, tan ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light spices, for the anointing oil, for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come make all that the Lord has commanded. And then in Exodus 35:20 20 to 21, then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came everyone whose heart was stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting for all the services and for the holy garments. And then as you read the passages after that, if you have a pen or a highlighter, the words that keep coming over and over again, it's like a refrain being repeated. What you will see is, the Lord has commanded and they did according to Lord commanded. The Lord has commanded and they did as the Lord commanded. And then there's the other language of stirring and spirit-moving and even the Spirit of God empowering people to work skillfully. See, when the Bible repeats words, it's to grab our attention. There's a reason for this. See, the preparation of God's house was done not according to what they thought they should do and think, oh, this would be the best thing for God. No, it was done according to exactly as the Lord commanded Now, Moses made sure this was the case, and you hear it over and over again, because these are God's words, these are God's commands, and they are expected to obey and do exactly. But it was not just done because God said so, and they better do it. Rather, there was a stirring going on. It moved them to work. And as you go through these passages, it's wonderful Moses' name comes up, obviously, because he's one of the main characters. You've got individuals like Bazel. You've got named for specific purposes, which means there were roles and duties and specific roles that they had for this particular job. But then there was craftsmen, men and women, those with skill, with their hands, and they're all bringing to contribute to this, the building of God's house. Everyone's involved. Everyone is involved. Everyone is being used by God for his purpose. They bring their skill, their talent, and even their time for the building of the Lord's house. I don't know. I don't know about you. When I read this first time, I think we sometimes miss the magnitude of this, right? This is before, you know, cranes and lifts and all these kind of things. Imagine all the labor that's gone into this. Can you imagine the gold, the metals? the materials, people working both individually and together. Imagine the noise. Imagine the smells of things being melted down. I don't know what knitting sounds like, but imagine for a moment the sound of knitting and colouring. Like I said earlier, it's very easy for us to gloss over these details, but it's a visual picture of what happens when the people of God are captured by something. Or more importantly, they're captured by someone God Himself. God Himself. So, the reason why Moses repeats the details from the previous chapter, both then and now, it shows what it means to obey God exactly according to His commands, His Word. They're expected at his people to say, do exactly as God says. And in this context, don't get it wrong, Israel. And if you had a chart, at some point I'd encourage you to have the previous chapters and this chapter's together and see if they kind of tie in together. And you'll see they're almost word for word. Yet the very detail is also there to remind us of this. That it's God himself who stirs the one who has captured the hearts of the people. And what has captured their heart, much more than doing this work for God, I think they have been captured by the loving kindness and the grace of God. It has stirred their lives. Remember who they are. They're the ones who disobeyed God. They had broken His commands. I want you to imagine for a moment, if you're one of those people, either you bow down to the calf or you sat in silence as it happened, and now you are asked to come and contribute to the Lord. Imagine being involved in that process. Imagine Aaron, the guy who made the calf. Now he's still going to be given the role of becoming the priest, the high priest. I wonder how he would have been feeling, those moments of maybe if I was in his shoes, I don't deserve this. See, this is what's happening, friends. They have experienced and seen and experienced God's loving kindness. And so their hearts are stirred to give everything that they have according to God's commands, and they obey him. They have bought to build They use their skill, they use their time, their skill and their talent for the building of the Lord's house as He moves them and as they want to live a life obeying His commands. And what we're seeing also as a language of offering to the Lord, this means the very act that they do from the spinning to the making is a very act of worship as God commands them. To obey exactly according to His Word, which leads them to worship and service. But what is beautiful in this is that God is the one who continually moves. He extends His grace. He, he reinstates His relationship with His people. He moves towards them still, despite of knowing who they are and what they've done and what they will do. Remember, he's also the one who's provided for them. All these things that they have, they've got from God as they left Egypt. The very command is there to do according as God commanded. Means that you as my people Israel, as ones who've experienced my loving kindness, live as I have called you to live. As I come to make a home with you, as I have commanded, do as I say. Friends, This is still true for you and I. We are still called to obey God's commands in His Word. I mean, you and I actually, I don't know if you realize this, we don't have a right to serve a holy God, yet alone bring anything to Him, because it's already His and He's the one who's provided for us. But we have experienced even the great loving kindness of God through His Son. So the question is, for you and I, is the loving kindness of God what drives us to obey His commands? Do you and I see His commands just as instructions, or do we see them as good for us? And He's got them there to build the very inner house that is in us. Or has God's grace become like, you know, that old, dusty book that's there that you pull out once in a while, maybe on Sundays or in the evenings or a small group? Or does the very commands of God still shape you and I? Or is it because we follow God's commands and His law because it's fear? Because if we don't, something's going to happen. He's going to get us. Or is Legalism, like I better tick all the boxes and I better do it right, then only God loves me. Or maybe we fall in that trap of, oh, well, at least I'm not like so-and-so. Friends, the loving kindness of God should capture our hearts. And then what that means is our time, our treasure, our skill all belong to Him. They're used for His glory because they're His Uh, The late R.C. Sproul put it this way. There's a quote up here on the screen for you. We do not segment our lives, giving some time to God, some to our business or schooling, while keeping parts to ourselves. The idea is to live all of our lives in the presence of God, under the authority of God and for the honour and glory of God. This is what the Christian life is all about." You know, in our Aussie culture, I don't know if you have heard this, um, and I'm not against this, by the way, we always talk about buying a house, investing in a house, saving up for a house. That's wonderful, and if you want to do that, great. There's nothing wrong in that. But what if there was a house that's far better to invest in? What if there was a house that that is far better to, to invest your time in and to, to make sure it's being shaped for the Lord to reside in. What if there was a much greater house? Now, if you've grown up in certain circles, this is the moment when the senior pastor would talk about some sort of building project or something like that, or his private jet. That's not what I'm going to do. I'm not going to talk about my private jet. Uh, and the building project is not what we're talking about today. Uh, see, the Israelites went to all this work, to ultimately build a house for God to come and reside. As God said he would, they prepared a place. They gave, they built, they made it. And then in Exodus 39, 43, it says this, And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord commanded, so they had done it. Then Moses blessed them. So the work is done. And later in verses 33 or 40, it says, So Moses finished the work. I mean, the very language of being finished and done is actually, again, language from Genesis, the work of God. It's been done. It is finished. It's creation kind of language. Yet this house was also a tent. It's a movable house. And actually, uh, to, I don't know if you heard that as that passage was read to you, to approach this house, to even enter this house, the amount of things that you had to go through to approach God's presence. I mean, only, not only that, only a select few were allowed to go into this house. And all of this is because it's echoing something. It's pointing to God saying there's actually going to be a better house. A better house for the Lord to dwell in. See, for generations, the people of Israel, and even some would say even today, they're looking for the temple to be their home for God. What's fascinating is God himself, all the way up to the moment with King David, He was still living in a tent. And David's now watching this, and he goes, Huh, creator of the universe living in a tent. I'm living in a palace. This doesn't sound right. And this is what he does in 2 Samuel 7, 1-7. Now, when the king lived in this house and the Lord had given rest from all the surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I will dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, what does God say? Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from where? From Egypt to this day. But I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I've moved with all the people of Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel? Saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? See, God is saying, hey, so this is much more to this. It's a reminder to you and I, and it's a beautiful vision of who God is, that He's much more bigger than you and I could ever comprehend or imagine. It's a reminder to you and I, we've got to be careful that we're not going to be tempted to box God in. His home is where He says it is. He's God of the universe. He's everywhere. Yet this holy God, who's holy, chose to come and dwell amongst an unholy people. And this is once again shown beautifully in Exodus 40. Have a look with me, Exodus 40, 34 to 38. Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys. Whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. The cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night, and the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Everything is in place. It is ready for the arrival of the Lord, and it is the moment. I mean, what a moment. The arrival of God in glory, not just arriving, and the very arrival is to say that He approves of the work and He approves of the very dwelling place that they've made for Him. And the people have a glimpse into His glory This is the language where we use the word called theophany. It's a visual manifestation of the invisible God. The very glory of God is a spectacular display. Friends, I think sometimes when we read this, we go, oh, yeah, cool. And It would have been amazing. The very God of the universe, the creator, the God who freed them, the God who defeated the Egyptians, The God who could have destroyed them but responded in love and grace and kindness, who spared them, is now dwelling with them. Yet in this house, the very house that God came to dwell, access to Him fully is denied. I mean, Moses himself couldn't enter the tent of meeting. What a thought. This is the guy who went up the mountain and saw God and saw His back. He couldn't even go into that place. God comes and dwells amongst them, but they cannot see him fully. They can't touch him. And for him, for us, for them to have access to him, they have to go through by the using of washing and the blood of animals. And one commentator put it this way, the closer you get to God's presence, there is a need for more blood. And yet, this unapproachable God is the one who would be their God, who would lead them, who would actually fight for them, who would constantly rescue them. And there's this beautiful line in that last chapter, I don't know if you heard this, throughout all your journeys. Friends, this is beautiful and powerful, and I hope it captures your heart. But yet, what God is doing in this moment is actually pointing to something far better to come. He's pointing to himself one day coming again. See, all that is in the house of God for Israel was pointing to the one who would eventually come. The Apostle John would write this in the first few verses of chapter 1, 14 to 18. And the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus, God himself, comes. The glory does not come in a cloud, but comes in flesh. The one who had every right to come through those curtains of the Holy of Holies comes, is born in humility. The one of all of who creation has been waiting for. The one who, like prophets of Moses and even David himself spoke of. And later on, the Apostle Luke would beautifully. Put down this account for us in Luke 9, 28 to 36. I want you to imagine this scene. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him. Who were they? Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. As the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make what? Three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said. He was saying these things. And what comes? A cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything what they had seen. I mean, the response of the disciples, I understand, as Hebrew leaders, they're going, Quick, God is here, let's make tents! they didn't realize what was going on. Jesus is showing who he is in his full glory. Friends, I hope that captures something in your heart. The cloud appears. The very cloud of God appears again. I mean, earlier on, if you read in Exodus, Moses gets to see a glimpse of God, and what does he see? He sees his back. But now... Moses gets to see God face to face in Christ. In a sense, what we're seeing, friends, is God saying, Moses, you want to see my glory? Here he is. Moses was talking face to face, as one commentator put it, like a man speaks to his friend. An interesting thing in this passage is the Apostle Luke uses a particular word. He used the word exodus. When Jesus speaks of his departure with Moses and Elijah, Jesus came to lead the ultimate exodus. Jesus who would shed the most blood in order for you and I to have relationship with the creator of the universe, not through a tent, but through Jesus himself. I mean, the disciples wanted to build a tent, and I feel for them. I probably would have been the same response. God's response is what? Obey my son, friends. This is still true for you and I. You are, you and I are still called today to obey God's commands, to obey His Son, as Jesus is the Word who became flesh. But even more than that, you and I have this great joy and pleasure that you and I can enter the very presence of God, the Creator of the universe, but not through some sort of feeble tent. But God Himself comes to reside in you and I, in this feeble tent, in our lives, in our bodies. But before this happens, you and I need to be confronted with who God is, the Holy One, the Righteous One, the One to this day who still cannot stand for sin, yet the One who graciously moves towards you and me because of Christ. And when you and I put our faith in him, he sends the help of the Holy Spirit to come and do what? To dwell in us, to seal us, to help us and empower us to obey what God says in his word. This is the gift that God gives. And then we are called to live our lives, to give our life, our time, our skills, our talents for his glory. See, this is why you and I need to realize all those things in that wonderful tabernacle, was pointing to the one. Jesus is the better tabernacle, the one who came to live in us and with us. Jesus is the ark of the covenant, the one who offered himself as our sacrifice to make atonement for you and for me. Jesus is the bread, the one who says he is the very bread of life, who promised to fill us with true spiritual nourishment. Jesus is the very landstand of life, the one who was and is life. Jesus is the very altar of incense that if you have faith in him, do you know that you have someone in the heavenly realms, on the right hand of the Father, advocating for you? He intercedes on your behalf. He sees both your cries and joys and laughter, and he prays for you. Christian friend, I hope that brings a song to your heart wherever you are. Jesus is literally everything that we could ever need. Therefore, if you have faith in Him, you have been sealed with His Spirit. He's empowered you with the Holy Spirit to use your gifts, your talent, your time, not for yourself, but for His glory, for building His body, the church, the people of God. He has come to make his home in your life. And he will continue to reform you and continue to change you. All for his glory. If you're someone who's new to the Christian faith, either listening in or watching now or even here, until you realize that there is a holy God, I want you to know God is the creator of the universe. You were made to have relationship with him, but you and I said no to God and we rejected his loving care and authority and we sinned against him, rebelled against him. Jesus was sent by the Father to die on the cross for your sin and my sin. And he was raised again on the third day. And now he calls you to turn and turn to him and give your life in faith. He promises to send to help the Holy Spirit to seal you, to empower you to live for him. And you'll be called to live for something far more glorious that is for him alone. If you're a follower of Christ, the great God of Exodus once again still promise us that he will never leave us, never will forsake us. He, to this day, goes with us and before us. He's the one who's still in our journey with us, whether it's in the high hilltops, the very valleys that you might be in right now. You and I can enter the very holy of holies because of Christ. So the invitation is for us to come to him, to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to obey all his commands, not some, all of it, in order to live for his glory. And I know many of you are weary followers of Christ. You are tired. I hope this brings encouragement to you. Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he said this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you. If I go... And prepare a place for you. I will come again and I will take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. Jesus is going to come back again. And we will see him in full glory once again. And he will take us to our eternal homes. Where we'll be in his presence for eternity. Christ is building a home. And he's begun that in your life right now. But he's also building us an eternal home. and We yearn for that day for those of us who know him. So God calls us now to live, listening, obeying his commands, not for ourselves but for his glory. Jesus Christ is our great saviour, the one who came and lived amongst us, who died on the cross and was raised again, the one who will once again come again. Would you join with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we come before your throne of grace. We thank you for the book of Exodus and we want to thank you for the great joy and privilege we've had as a church to grow through this book. We pray that we will be a people who know you to live for you and for your glory. Empower us this week through your spirit to live as you command us through your word. Build your home in us as we wait for our eternal home.